Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us for this very special event safety podcast and webinar. Our goal today is to highlight the immense importance of the mental health first aid training for event professionals and to share the ease with which anyone can become certified. This training is a game changer. While CPR is really important and it's necessary and it's easy to attain, often we probably see mental health first aid challenges or mental health challenges on our event sites more frequently than we do CPR related challenges. So in some view, uh, this training is more necessary than CPR training or at least very complementary to the CPR training. And hopefully we can help you understand today how easy it is to get it, how easy it is to maintain your certificate uh, and, and what drives someone to get the mental health first aid, first aid training. With us today are mega artist, music touring veteran, Debbie Taylor. Hi, Debbie. Hi. Thank you for joining us. And Brian Honeycutt, who is currently the entertainment industry's only instructor of the mental health first aid. Brian, I think we're working to change that, hopefully, right? Absolutely. Um, all right, Debbie, would you mind telling our audience where you come from and how you got here? Yeah, I'm a production coordinator and production assistant for large scale arena and stadium touring artists. Uh, I'm currently working with Guns N' Roses, but I've worked in the past with U2, Rolling Stones, Black Sabbath, Ozzy Osbourne, uh, to name but a few. That feels like name dropping, doesn't it? But you really are, you're like, you are, uh, from my understanding, the go-to person, if there's a mega artist who's going to go on stadium tours, it's Debbie Taylor you call to get on, to oh, get on your staff. That's, but uh, I think, go ahead, sorry. That's very, very flattering. <laughs> well, I think it's true as well, right? I mean, you're, you're Opie's uh, go-to person, right? I am, yeah, I mainly work with Opie. Um, there are uh, a small group of us who work this kind of circuit, um, and I'm very grateful to be amongst um, such a great company. Yeah, uh, you, you must do an amazing job. And, and thank you for joining us today. We're, we're honored to have you with us. Brian, I know because we've been working together a little bit on this mental health first aid training that you have a journey across the entertainment spectrum of one role to the next that makes you super well-rounded uh, and probably feeds into your ability to help facilitate this training. Do you mind sharing the highlights of that with us? Um, sure. Um, yeah. Um, I, I think uh, I think uh, well-rounded is probably a, a, a decent statement in that. Um, I'm very lucky in my career to have had the opportunity to work as a dancer, as a singer, as a stunt performer, as a stilt walker, um, as a puppeteer, a parade float driver, um, and that uh, and that made the step into the stage management and production world um, a pretty interesting one from understanding things from that standpoint. The majority of my career um, was spent in the theme park industry, specifically working for uh, work, working with uh, the Disney Parks Live Entertainment, and I managed the safety programs for teams around the world, specifically related to uh, to the entertainment programs. You come to us from the Disney Empire. <laughs> That's excellent, Brian. Thanks. Um, uh, I know from my experience at Disney that it is a, a, a unique place to work and a, and a driver of all manner of professionals back into the entertainment for, uh, workforce. Some stay forever and, and some come out and, and do other interesting work. So thanks for allowing us to do this recording today, Brian. Um, Debbie, 
I want to switch to you first and ask what drove you to take mental health first aid training? What is it that you saw or how did you get, how did you be, become alerted to it? What made you say, yeah, I got to do that? I've always been interested in um, our industry. I, I love, I love my job. I love what I do, but I'm also very well aware through personal experience that it takes a toll. Um, we give up an awful lot to do this job. It gives an awful lot back to us, but you do give up an awful lot to do this. And that at some point sooner or later tends to take a toll on your mental health. Um, whether you actually call it mental health or whether you're just aware of it being um, ups and downs, not feeling so great about yourself, uh, not knowing, especially mean not knowing where you fit in, in real life compared to touring life and how the two sections go together. So I've always had an interest in it. It's just been quite hard to find any information on it. So when I saw the mental health first aid course, I jumped at the chance to do it. Um, the fact that experts were available to teach me um, and empower me to be able to go out on the road and know how to help my fellow uh, roadies, touring colleagues, I also use the downtime that we've been having to, to try and educate myself about what we're going to be facing when we go back out on the road. And I felt that this was really invaluable in that process. Uh, There's a great point about what's, what's it going to be like when we go back on the road. I, I know we've all been having discussions in many, many circles about the, the, the reality of a post-traumatic stress disorder relating to COVID and relating to the shutdown. And I know I try to make sure that I'm saying as loudly as I can, look, every single human from our community, and in fact, on the planet has gone through COVID in their own way. And it's had a unique impact on each individual. So therefore each individual will come back into the workforce or not with a level of um, a level of mental ambiguity, I would imagine, because they, it doesn't feel comfortable anymore. It doesn't feel like, oh, I know what to do. I get up, I get on the bus, I go to the next city, I get off the bus, I have catering, I go to work, uh, or I'm in a room with you know multiple stakeholders and venue staff and my staff. And I think our workforce, for a variety of reasons, is going to look it's not going to carry the same sense of stability that we've carried before, whether that was uh, unreasonable stability, like we forced ourselves into thinking that everything's okay and we're working 18 hour days, or now we've got this complexity of, I, I don't know whether I'm comfortable in the space and I, or I've just, I've just suffered severe trauma over the last year because I've either had to sleep in my car, I've had to sell my personal belongings or any number of things to get through COVID because the job wasn't available to us. So that's a really good point, Debbie, that you know, we're, we're especially in this time coming out of COVID, we've got a lot to be looking out for, not just getting the job done and not just knocking off the rust uh, and making sure that we're doing the job right, but making sure that everybody next to us is okay. That was the driver. Yeah, there, there, are, there are so many things I think we're going to face when we go back out. And I think most of them are unknown at this stage. Um, whether it's, as you say, being match fit 
and getting back into the swing of doing a job that we haven't done for so long uh, and a, a very taxing job. But also we've been removed from what we've known for so long. We've been taken out of that for 12, 14 months, faced with uncertainty and unknowns. And to a certain extent, we somehow adapted to, to that. I think that's, you know, the human spirit and that's the, you know, we've adapted. Now we're going to have to take that, remove that, go back to what we knew before. But I don't think any of us are coming back to it the way we left it. I, I know I'm not. I, you know, I, I don't know that I've ever been home for more than two months at a time over the last two and a half, three decades. And my wife certainly not had me in the room for that long. So it was a real learning curve. And now that we're here 14 months later, I kind of like it. You know, I, I don't know that I'm looking forward to the road life again. Looking forward to accomplishing the task with the team for sure. But now I've got a reverse problem whereby I, I really kind of want to be home and I don't want to be on the road. So that's going to come along with my PTSD, this desire to not, maybe, maybe to not be there. I think there's going to be... Um... A, a an adjustment period but they i think we all need to keep an eye out for everybody because this is going to present itself in some ways that we're just not expecting yeah um which again was such a wonderful thing to be able to do the course to be able to have some information to actually back up what we're thinking um yeah i mean that's why i came to the course I, it's we had some downtime it was an amazing opportunity to get some education. Um, and thank you guys for doing the course. Yeah. Well, thanks for the setup, Debbie. That, that takes me right to where I'm going next with Brian. Uh, Brian, um, how, wh where does the course come from? Where did it originate? How did it, uh, how did it come to be? What is its intention? There's a, there's a lot I'm packing in here, Brian, because I'm, I'm sure you're going to be able to riff on it. Um, and how did it land here in the entertainment industry with you as the instructor? Please take as long as you need to get us there. <laughs> well, uh, th there is a lot packed into there. Um, and the course itself, um, the course that we that we have been teaching is a is a nationally certified course that does come from the National Council for Mental Wellbeing. It's a, it's a certified course that was created um, about 19 years ago and originally originated in Australia and has been uh, presented in 25 countries around the world from the standpoint of the overarching content and the research and the development that went into the content of the course. Um, but what is different about what we have been doing is uh, through Behind the Scenes Foundation, um, a while back, a group was put together directly related to some events in the industry, directly related to some experiences, and it was really focused on mental wellness and suicide prevention. And um, the, the group that came together for that initiative really wanted to find out what the need is. Um, we, all, we all had anecdotal information. We all had our own stories to tell, but we really wanted to look at the broader industry. From that work, a survey went out. We were hoping for about 800 to 1,000 responses to get us uh, to get us started uh, to understand some initiatives and some things we wanted to work on. Um, in the initial distribution of that survey, we came back with around 3,000 responses. Um, the things we heard loud and clear from the industry was, we're all dealing with burnout. We're all dealing with fatigue. 
we're all carrying some level of trauma. Um, and many people shared stories of you know, thoughts of suicide, of these type of thoughts that the course deals directly with and wanting resources around mental wellness and how to help themselves and others. So it was, it was a perfect fit to take this course and really kind of transform the content of the course, not changing the content of the course and its intent and its fidelity, but really putting an entertainment-based instructor in front of the audience, putting some entertainment-related conversations in that, and really focusing on our world, our application, and what it was all about. And, and much, much as you're saying, you know, experiencing that, you know, those ups and downs, the ups and downs, the cyclical nature of our business when everything is running along and humming along as it did pre-COVID, even, even in a perfect world, we go out on the road, we tour, the tour comes to an end. So the cyclical relationship nature, the cyclical employment nature um, in, in our industry, if you're, if you're doing great and doing well, you're still looking for work probably 30, 40% of the time. So it's that nature of how do we deal with that? How do we balance all of those things? And, and a course that talks about mental wellness, talks about self-care, talks about recognizing those signs in, in others when they're struggling was really just a perfect fit to give that conversation to, uh, to our industry, to open up the doors and start making sure that we had some experts and some individuals and the goal of having those individuals in every venue on every tour around the world, having at least one, two, maybe more individuals that are looking around themselves and going, okay, you know, I'm seeing some behaviors from individuals that, that, that concern me. And then not only having the knowledge to recognize those behaviors, but having the language and the confidence to address those things and to assist, even when the person in crisis might not understand yet that they are in crisis mode or getting close to being in crisis mode. Um, I think we're challenged in our industry um, by we we're not only are we on a roller coaster of work and we're on a roller coaster of sleep and effort and roller coasters of food, but we are also to some extent, getting the natural highs before we get any other kinds of highs by you know that endorphin and dopamine hit that comes when the when the house lights go out and the audience goes insane or um, you know when when the audience asks for an encore and the hairs stand up on your arms, you're getting uh, chemically induced pleasure uh, from your body, self-driven, uh, and and it's it's that kind of a roller coaster, I think that sometimes leads to, well, I've got to facilitate that again when it's quiet. So perhaps I'll find a different kind of high to replace the fact that I'm not in the, in the arena getting that high from an audience. So we're, we're not just predisposed to all these things before we get the house lights, then we get the house lights and it's amplified yet again. Uh, and our bodies and our brains go through this other roller coaster of chemical and uh, induced highs and lows. And is that one of the ways we end up here, Brian? Is that one of the ways we're so susceptible? Well, well I think, uh, and, and Jimmy kind of tapped into the other portion of my work. Um, I, I, I currently am working on finishing up my doctorate in uh, performance psychology and really focusing on, on the industry. And one of the key learnings, one of the things that we look at from a behavior standpoint is, is just that, you know, our behavior patterns, the things that we seek. You know, we seek that 
We seek that thrill. We seek those things. Our industry draws in people that already have a tendency to, you know, seek that high, as you said. And, and so, you know, we find it. We find it in one place. And during the pandemic, especially, that is gone. And the coping mechanisms that, uh, that we've all had to replace, um, the way we've coped with things, some, of, some people have picked some great, wonderful self-care, healthy coping strategies. And then others have not had that advantage and have wound up leading to some less than healthy coping strategies. And, and, and to your point, I, I think it's that, you know, that we, we live on that edge. We live from that thrill. We live from those moments. And we're living that at such a level that we're constantly on the top of the roller coaster. And we seek that feeling of being on the top of the roller coaster. And, and, and now we've spent so much time in the valley, you know, that, that, that climb back to, back to everything is frightening. As, as you say, you know, looking at going back and touring, many of these things that you went, this is just how my life is. Now you're, now you're questioning, oh, wait, yes, this might have been how my life was, but is this how my life must be? Are these things things that I need? Are these things things that I thought I need? And, and many are questioning those things. And, and that's all part of the journey, part of the exploration. And, and being able to honestly have those conversations and speak with that level of authenticity is another one of the great things that we do in the course is really, uh, really dig deep, really be vulnerable, and really create that space and that ability to have those conversations with one another. And I think one of the coolest things about our industry is we're, we're kind of, by and large, a no judgment zone. You know, you can be X, Y, or Z. You can have X, Y, or Z habits. And no one's going to come and, and at least currently, nobody's going to come along and give you a test or, or check on you or demand that you don't behave in the way that you behave. So, and I think that's one of the greatest allures to our business. Now, when it crosses the line to unsafe, that's another story. And I'm not promoting that behavior. But I say that because by by training up as many mental health first aiders as we possibly can and, and installing them in our ecosystem, because anybody can have this training, anybody can take it, then we're, we're better able to cope with our natural state of being and the individual's natural state of being because we've got we've got lifeguards on duty, right? We've got safeties on duty to make sure we're checking. Um, so thanks, Brian, for, for bringing us to that point, because I think that's super important. Debbie, do you, do you see this as a mechanism where, you know, your tour becomes uh, a little more stable? Maybe the behaviors don't go away, but at least people know how to check on each other and, and, and is it going to be one or should there be many? What's your view of, of what it takes to do this right with mental health first aid? Honestly, I think, I think everybody should be aware of this. I, I don't see a reason why everybody on a tour. I mean, it's great that at least there's one or two people who are aware of it, who can keep an eye out, but there is absolutely no reason why everybody shouldn't be aware of what's going on. I think it's, Again, like you say, our industry is such a wonderful industry um, that it's, I'm trying to word it correctly. Some of it isn't actually looking out for people in a, um, in a regimented way or like ticking the boxes. I think most of it is looking out for your friends on tour and, and just keeping an eye out for each other. We, we are one team and that's something that I love about what we do. It all is teamwork. 
but that extends to looking out for each other's welfare as well as the work that we do together. I think it can be as fundamental as that. And I really do think that destigmatizing the conversation about mental health is possibly the most important thing because it's great when you know why you're having the ups and downs and you know why you're feeling that way. But I think a lot of people at this stage still aren't thinking that's a mental health related issue. Um, so taking away that stigma about it and being able to talk about, I'm not feeling so great today, I'm feeling this way, or being able to ask the questions is going to help our industry an awful lot. And, and maybe it's in addition to taking away the stigma, it's also knowing that, well, I guess in order to take away the stigma, you have to be in a safe environment. So the safe environment comes from educating top down and bottom up uh, and, and knowing what to do when things get a little uh, more out of control or, or less stable than they should be, right? We, yeah, we all, we all know that when we tour, we reach a certain critical mass point, whether that's two weeks in or maybe it's straight after rehearsals when there's a lack of sleep and we're rolling and shit's hitting the fan, basically. You know, it could be weather conditions, it could be the late nights, it could be the, the fact that you've done three back-to-backs or that you're now having to fly and go through commercial airports. I think we all know when those points are coming. You can feel it, you can feel it in the air. And I think knowing that and then just keeping an eye out for each other is, yeah, it's completely invaluable. One of the things I do during those times, not to take us off the rails, but I build in those decompression moments. So, I mean, you can see if you're going to do four in a row or three in a row, and there's a private charter from Lisbon to St. Petersburg, Russia, and then that goes to Poland and you're, and you're, you're back to back to back, you're going to need decompression on that day off in Poland. So if you, if, the, if you institutionalize the, and normalize the decompression, now you're not saying everybody has to do it this way, but this day is about you and your decompression. This day, I want you to go take a spa or to go to the dance club or to stay up all night and rage you know, at a, at a, at a karaoke bar, whatever it is, re- having the leaders recognize that decompression is an essential part of a healthy brain after those kinds of stressful days, I think is, is super helpful. Right? It's, and then, it can be very basic too. It can be, I, I know we do it on our tours and I hope he's very um, aware of it, is you know, not bringing people in until they need to be in and giving people the extra sleep where it's required. Uh, getting people out as early as possible so they can go and have dinner somewhere that's outside of the venue. Uh, the other thing that we tend to do, and I think it's so important, is providing people with information. If you can prepare people for this is going to be the busy run and this is going to be the week-long period where it's going to affect, affect us all, I think if you can provide people with information, you're empowering them to make yeah. their own decisions on, on self-care and, okay, I've got tonight off, but I've got an early morning tomorrow. I probably shouldn't rage, but I can go and do something for me in that time. Right. Um, I think it'd be very important. Yeah, I, it's, it's like reinforcing the idea of go take a nap, right? They, one of my first camps, naps were outlawed. But I'm like, I preached naps because that's the only way you survive. I want one. Um, so I think that the uh, drivers for an individual to take this training are very, very personal, right? And, and, and you may be motivated, a, a person may be motivated by a number of things. The, the, the 
uh, com most common of which is probably I want to help take care of folks, let's hope, right? But tr also true is many of us have had some firsthand experience or near secondhand experience to um, these kinds of traumas. Uh, I, for me, it was the death by suicide of Chester Bennington of Lincoln Park. And that was in 2018. Now, my children who were super young at the time uh, knew him, they communicated with him and, and it was the first band they ever knew, it was the first show they ever saw. And when he died by suicide, it really, I mean, among the many, many emotional roller coasters that put us through, um, the, the one that was closest and obviously nearest and worry, most worrisome is how would my children uh, react to this? And what, what do they see? How do they interpret um, death by suicide of, of an idol, of someone they know? So it, that's what drove me to take the class long before it, we got to where we are today. And so in 2019, I took the youth version of the mental health first aid training so that I would know what to do, or at least what to look for, or at least have an idea of, do I, do I know how to ask the questions? Interestingly, at the, at the start of that class, there was a pre-assessment test. I don't know, I'm gonna guess, Brian, it was maybe 20 questions. But of what do you think you know about mental health first aid and, how, and, 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 and injecting yourself into an, a situation? I got all but two wrong. So everything I thought I knew about mental health, I was wrong about, which, which led me to this great awakening where, geez, oh man, thank goodness for that training because now I need to know how to ask those questions. So two parts here, Debbie, is there, and you don't have to answer this, this is not, you know, is there a personal experience that's brought you to this place or is it just your care for your fellow humans that's bringing you here? Yeah, it's a little bit of both, to tell you the truth. There's um, the role that I find myself in. Uh, I am responsible for the welfare of our crew. Um, I like to see myself as being responsible for um, allowing our crew to work as efficiently as possible. Other people look after the gear and make sure that that works efficiently. I try my best to be able to make sure that the crew have everything that they possibly need to be able to work as professionally as possible. So that definitely makes up 50% of, of why I was interested in doing the course. Um, but yes, yeah, I, I have had personal experiences. I, I don't think there's anybody in this industry who hasn't been touched by death by suicide. For me, when it has happened, and it's happened several times, it's looking back and seeing if there were signs, I, I, I couldn't tell you. I honestly couldn't tell you. It's, it's always taken me completely by surprise. If you'd asked me to, you know, to, to tell you who it could potentially happen to, there is no way on earth that I would have ever picked the people who, who are under you know, death by suicide. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so I, I wanted to learn a lot more about it so that I'm not missing something, so that I know in future um, that I have the tools at my fingertips and also the resources to be able to help. Yeah, it, it was, it struck me hard after taking the training that I was not as good a caretaker as I thought I was. There were things that I didn't know that I wish I had known before Chester's passing. Maybe it wouldn't have changed the outcome. The chances are it wouldn't have changed the outcome. But geez, had I known them, 
I would have been, I would have been better on his shoulder, you know, during the times that were that were now in retrospect clearly painful times. So it 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 is not an easy thing to consider if you've been close when you're taking this class. To be completely honest, it, you know, there's some hard parts in taking this. There's some hard reckoning that you have to do, but to feel empowered as a result of it um, is makes up for the difficult reckoning, right? Brian, it's not just about suicide. It's, it's, uh, it's many facets of the mental health journey. Can, can you help us see the full breadth of what the training's intended outcome is and, and what we're looking for because of the training? Well, absolutely. And, and to your point, it, it's not. Suicide is just one of the things that we, that we talk about. And, and mainly because when, we, when we're doing it, suicide is when everything has gotten to that to that last point. Um, one of the key goals of the program is that early intervention when we start seeing those signs and symptoms that are on that pathway. Um, and as an example, um, in my own experience and in my own life, in my former role, um, since I'm now running a, my own consulting company, but when I did work for Disney, I supported all of entertainment. I supported all of the folks you see in the parks who are uh, who are portraying all of your superstars and portraying all of those lovely people that you uh, that you know so well, um, including villains. And and one of the uh, things that I will say from a professional standpoint that I never expected, uh, being in a place myself where playing a villain was lots of fun and I enjoyed it. But when I was doing it, I did it here and there. Um, we would get to a point where, because of the demand around the world, people would be playing villains day after day after day. Children would hate them day after day after day. Children would be afraid of them day after day. And so the toll that that would take on the individual who's simply portraying a role um, began, began to surprise me personally, which is where my journey with mental health first aid first began. Um, really seeking that, you know, you know, what are the tools to help these individuals? What are the points from we go, okay, you probably should step. You probably should step away from this role for a period of time. Yes, I know you love it. Yes, I know it's fun. However, there are some uh, there's there's some things that are being put on your shoulders that we need to take off your shoulders for a period of time, and 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 so that kind of is what the course is really all about: recognizing recognizing the challenges that you yourself may be going through, recognizing the challenges that another individual may be going through, and and it really comes down to understanding and recognizing some some behaviors that are some of those warning signs. And one of the key things about recognizing those behaviors is knowing the individual. So so the more people we have on a crew the more likelihood we're going to have someone that intimately knows someone or knows someone at a deeper level. Um, for, the, for the folks who know me, they know that usually my level of happy is you know, over here, my level of sad is over here. Everything in the middle is my standard operations. So no surprises if I'm operating in that space. But those are the folks who are going to recognize when I'm operating outside those parameters on either side. And, and those are the ones that are going to start paying attention They're going, okay, you know what? Yesterday, Brian was, uh, he was a little more unhappy than I have seen him today. He's a little more happy than I've ever seen him. So something's going on. Let me pay attention. And once we start to see those things, having the ability to be able to walk up and go, Hey, 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 Brian, um, you know what? Uh, we've known each other for a long time. I've seen some behaviors that are not common for you. Um, 
there anything going on? How you doing? And just starting that conversation and just opening that door because that that can be so Im, Im, impactful. And, and as Debbie said, this isn't about you know this isn't about ticking the boxes. This isn't about check on person. Yes, I have checked on that individual. You know, it's giving us the tool to have a conversation. And all too often, we're very good at going, "Hey, how are you?" And then expecting the answer of "I'm well," "I'm okay," or "Good." And if it's anything outside of our expectation, we stop listening because we didn't ask, hey, how are you with the intent of understanding how you are? We asked the question that we're supposed to ask in the environment. So it's really about helping break those things down, giving us the tools to be a little bit more vulnerable, to be a little bit more willing to have those conversations. And also know that if we recognize a behavior in someone that we might not be close to, being able to reach out to someone who is close to them and go, hey, I've noticed this. Have you noticed these things? No? Let me tell you what I've noticed. Maybe they're the better person to go talk to them. And so it really, you know, it's really all about, you know, opening those doors, you know, and getting those down. And, and the reason that I reached out to try to find something like that was from a place of not understanding. And, and Jim, the youth course was the first one I took. And uh, I don't think I did. Uh, I don't think I did any better on that test walking in. Um, we, we all carry a lot of a lot of myths, a lot of things that we don't know about mental health, mental wellness. And, and the one thing, well, many things potentially, but something potentially good that has come out of the pandemic is we've all changed our relationship with the conversation on mental wellness and our understanding of mental wellness. So the ability to step back into the world with a new fresh mindset, a little bit more willingness to talk about these things, the, uh, the opportunities we have are boundless at this point. It really is one of the blessings of COVID is that we stopped we not just slowed down, we stopped and we, we, could, we could reflect um, not only on what's important to us, uh, but, you know, is there, can I become, you know, for me, it was, can I become better? Is, you know, is this where I want to be? What have I, what could I be doing better? Um, and, and the mental health element of this, you know, the stigma, I think Debbie said at first, the stigma is the biggest issue, right? Like, it's no different. It shouldn't be treated any differently from I've cut my hand. I need a bandaid. I'm having a bad mental health day. I, I need, I need the space to deal with that, or I need somebody to just sit with me or, or whatever the thing is. But why would, why would any compassionate person um, use the line? I think Brian, you say it in the class, get over it or just, just suck it up and move on. Right. Which I'm also hopeful. And I, I think we all are that COVID will bring more compassion, if not to our, our statesmen, our elder statesmen who do the business still, but maybe the younger folks who are coming into the business, they'll come in with more compassion. And this training absolutely helps you discover compassion in some ways or empathy in some ways. And so Debbie, I, you know, when you took the class, when, when your face popped up, I, I, so just for the audience, um, Brian, I, I was fortunate enough to be asked by Behind the Scenes Foundation to help co-facilitate some of these classes. I, I am uh, hoping to become an instructor, uh, and uh, the 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 opportunity to co-facilitate helps get me to the place, um, ho helps get one to the place, hopefully to become an instructor. But when Debbie popped onto the screen for for class four or five for me, and I saw a fellow touring person, I was like, yes, somebody from the touring world. 
uh, because there, I don't know, Brian, if there's been anybody else from the music touring space. Uh, the classes, uh, I know I know the IATSE Training Trust is, mm -hmm. is helping to cover the costs for the IATSE members. So that's driven a, a, a disproportionate number of IATSE members into the class, which is great. Um, uh, but but we haven't seen the kind of uh, wide-ranging audience uptake from everywhere else in the space. Um, so, Debbie, I, 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 tell the audience how hard it is to do this training. Tell the audience what that journey felt like for you to do the, I think there's, a, there's an asynchronous component that you've got to do before you take the classroom component. Can anybody do this, Debbie? Um, <clears throat> yeah. Now anybody can do it. It's not a, it's not rocket science. Um, an awful lot of it is common sense, but as we know, common sense really isn't common until you have to use it. Um, so as you were saying, you know, doing the, the pre-course test where you get the questions wrong, it's, you know, how are you supposed to get the questions right unless somebody's telling you what to look out for? It was, it was an extremely easy course. Um, an extremely informative course. I, I think that the best thing for me, and I think most of the people in our industry can agree with this, is we hate to be told how to do things from people outside of our industry. Is that why we can't get more music touring people in this class? <laughs> I, I, I do believe that we, we have such a specific lifestyle, specific work. It's um, being able to do it from inside and having something specific to our to our roles, um, it's not like taking a course where you have it's based around people who work nine to five in an office and then go home afterwards. The the course for me was so fantastic because it really spoke to what we actually go through. The examples were relevant. Um, as you were learning, you could actually picture situations where you've, you've been at, you've, you've seen it, you've felt it, you, you knew somebody who'd been in every single one of those situations that was talked about. Um, so yeah, so extremely easy, but also very fulfilling at the same time. Did you find anything particularly difficult? Was there, was, was there an aha moment for you, Debbie? Was there, did it all just turn on at one point in the class? Uh, yeah, and I think we all know what point that is. Um, there are some exercises to do. And, and speaking about what you were saying earlier, Jim, about you know, having time during the pandemic to be able to think about mental health and that a lot of people have con considered their mental health and the mental health of others. I think a lot of us have done, but there's still a lot of people who haven't done that. So I feel that that's really our place now to be able to go out and, and spread that message onto people. And that kind of leads into the aha moment. Um, there are some exercises to do, and it's great to be able to do the exercises with like-minded individuals because it's a safe space. It's not uncomfortable to be talking to um, people who are also interested in mental health about these subjects. However, the moment of actually having to ask the very, very difficult question of, are you considering harming yourself? Are you thinking of killing yourself? I'm even struggling now to say those words. That and yeah. and I'll, I'll talk around it, like harm yourself rather than kill yourself because it's just much easier to say that. It's such a hard question to ask. And I, 
consider myself to be good with words. I consider myself to be okay with speaking, but trying to get those words out was, it was hard. It's so hard. Um, but, but on the flip side, so very empowering and so wonderful to have the safe space to try those words before you potentially ever have to use them in real life. And I found that moment to be like, that's completely the opposite of what I would have, you know, that was one of those questions I got wrong, right? So what do you mean ask somebody if they're thinking of taking their own life? I would never do that. Well, it turns out that's not fact uh, and that you should. Uh, so that for me also, Debbie, that was the, Jesus, that's the moment. That and the, we did an exercise in the youth class with that demonstrated the voices in your head ideal uh, idea and, and why that is you know, different for every human being. If somebody says to you, they've got voices in their head, you know, I used to think to myself, well, I know what that sounds like. Well, you don't, you know, I know what it sounds like for me. I don't know what it sounds like for that person over there. And I shouldn't be so, so uh, stubborn to think that my definition of it is that person's definition of it. Um, Brian, is there any, is there any pre-course work? Is there any any preparation beyond the asynchronous uh, two to four hour online bit? Um, what 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 do what do potential attendees need to know? Well, I, I think the most important thing they need to know is that understand that it is an investment in time. Um, it is that uh, two to four hours of pre-course work, and literally, you just uh, you can go to the behind the scenes foundation site. Um, and you can sign up for, for the program. Uh, what happens then is you'll get an email with a login, go to a learning management site, and you can launch everything from there. And it's that, uh, it's that coursework. And then once you're completed with that coursework, um, you've, got your, uh, you've got your class scheduled. And the class is about, uh, about five and a half hours to six hours of, of contact time. And, and I do a lot of talking in, in that period of time. And, and hopefully everyone does a lot of talking back. It's intended to be uh, a very conversational, it's intended to be a very interactive time. And, and I think the biggest prerequisite is that, is that curiosity, is that willingness to, willingness to look at it and go, here's something I think I might know something about, but I wanna know more. Here's something I'm curious about, but I wanna know more. Here's something I think our industry is challenged with, and I think I can be part of the solution. So, so I, I think really, really the prerequisite is, is a desire, is a desire to come in, is a desire to find out how you can improve, how you can improve your own understanding and your own willingness. And, and even if you're in a place where you might not be comfortable having those conversations with individuals in a professional setting, um, the information is just as useful with your family is just as useful with your friends. And once you're comfortable with that, the, the step from into a professional setting, the step into the workplace is, is a very small step. I have, uh, I have used this several times um, in my professional life. I've used this several times in my personal life. And, uh, and every time that I've gone, gone through from a space of really using some of these tools I've learned, I'm so grateful that I have the language and so grateful that I have the understanding. And, and as Debbie said, when you're looking at another human being and you're and you're you've seen some things that concern yourself, and you say the words, "Are are you thinking of killing yourself?" It's it's an uncomfortable phrase. It's an uncomfortable thing. But just like with so much in our world and so much in our lives, um, discomfort is often where the biggest growth happens. 
So if we're willing to sit in that discomfort and if we're willing to understand, I'm comfortable because this is not a place I know something about. But if I sit in this place, I will then know something about it. I will then grow from there. And that's really you know, the advantage of the course is it gives us the opportunity to maybe sit in that discomfort for a little bit, but to do so surrounded by individuals who are doing the same thing and on the same journey together. It, it strikes me that it's really impactful in taking the course to see, um, you know, to see in the, some of the video vignettes, good examples of, of how to have that conversation and awful examples of how to have that conversation. It's like, you know, we, we are kind of visual learners, us, us entertainment community. So to, to actually see it teed up and acted in front of us, I found that to be super helpful, especially the, especially the bit where the guy gets it right on the panic, uh, the panic attack is, um, is super helpful, I think, to see. That's what it feels like. That's what it should sound like, right, Brian? And something I will also say is we do have, we have had a lot of folks from the film and television industry come in. And for those who are cautious of any online learning or online training or any of this, uh, even folks in film and television have made the comment that uh, these, these vignettes are pretty well done. They, they tell a good story. And one of the things I do enjoy is I think every time I've watched these videos and I cannot even begin to count the number of times we've gone through them, but there's, there's hidden, there's hidden gems in there that I'm still finding those hidden gems, those signs that, uh, that so deep in the messages, so deep in the things, so deep in the understanding of what the individuals we're seeing going through a crisis are really experiencing and very personal stories that many of us can connect to. And especially now. For sure. Uh, I can't stress enough that right now is a very useful time to have this training. I, I think we're, I think we've gotten the big message across. Um, so I want to ask Debbie, is there, is there anything else you'd want to share with the audience or any other thoughts or that we didn't get a chance to get to um, pearls of wisdom, please. Yeah. One of the other things I really loved about the course that we kind of haven't really touched on yet is the self care. angle. Uh, um, that it's, it's wonderful to be um, given the tools to help other people, but we are constantly reminded throughout the course that self-care is really important too. And I think being in a caretaker role, I know how hard it can be to be giving and giving and giving and then feel like you aren't getting that same in return. So to be reminded again that even while we're learning, uh, in the course we're given many breaks because they are some quite sensitive subjects and, and it can be a lot of information to take in. Um, it's wonderful to be reminded that you actually have to take care of yourself too, that it's, it's great taking care of other people. And some of us are really good at that, but actually taking care of ourselves can sometimes be a little harder for some of us. I, that's a, that's really important, Debbie. And Brian, I think you reinforced that idea by saying, you know, look, you, you're not a good steward of someone else's mental or emotional state if you're not in that settled state, right? Absolutely. And, and Debbie, I love that you brought that up because that literally was my note of making sure to touch back with both you and Jim have talked about self-care, creating those decompression days and, and looking at that self-care time. Um, one of the phrases I all, often use both in the course and in my professional world is, you know, you cannot lead anyone from a burning building if you are on fire. That's so, it. so if, if, 
if you are not taking care of yourself, you are not a good steward for anyone else. If you are telling people to take care of themselves and they see you doing none of those things, uh, it's really about setting the example. And one of the challenges that I put forth um, in the course, and it, especially towards the end of the course, is many of us have calendars that are color coded. Many of us have day timers that have all of those things listed in there. And, and one of the questions I often ask is, you know, open that up. Just look at a week. Is there a color in there for you? Is there a series of time in there that is for you and you alone? And if not, why not? It's your calendar. And regardless of how much control you have of your schedule, you still have the ability to know where those slots are. We still have to set our own boundaries to some degree. And you know, finding that self-care time and knowing how, knowing how you refresh, knowing how you recover is such an important skill set. You know, when, when you talk about those decompression days, am I in a new city? Do I, do I just take a, do I just walk around a few blocks and find something, find a park bench to sit on and take it all in? Do I sit in my hotel room and watch a movie on my iPad? You know, what is my recharge? How do I do it? And how do we create that space? And how do we support the creation of that space for everyone? Yeah, super important. Uh, you know, I, I only recently learned the trick of blocking time in my calendar for me. And, and I've used it, you know, to go to the grocery store in this instance, you know, or uh, get a haircut just those things because you we do we love to work we love to get so deep in it that we're that we say man i've got a hundred emails stacked up and i've got all these phone calls i'm doing today and we and you know to some extent we're we're in the habit of using those things as bragging points when in reality the question is well how are you right who cares about all that stuff can't take that with you um so i i think debbie such a great call out on the self-care component because you know as much as this class is about creating um creating qualified individuals certified individuals to look after each other it also impacts the individual i know that i am forever changed as a human being because i took this training and the way that i communicate with my wife and my children and my peers and my colleagues and my professional friends is different. I've been changed at the DNA level because I took this training. Um, and I think, geez, wouldn't it be great if we could really create the same kind of uptake that CPR has gotten or more? Uh, and wouldn't it be great if we can make sure our leaders take this training as much as, you know, our crew chiefs, as much as our, uh, you know, everyone across the ecosystem, because then we're, you know, we're living in a world where we care for each other and we care for each other from a place of knowledge which is, I think, the intent. Um, uh, it, it's one of the things that needs to be said about mental health first aid training is that it's really the triage end of the world, right? So mental health first aid training comes into play and can be an effective tool when someone is experiencing difficulties. And, you know, so it's, it's an important backstop to trying to make sure we know what to do if somebody's suffering any number of graduated experiences from just a, a lot of stress to a panic attack to God forbid death by suicide. The other end of that that's really, really important is the self-care that we've been talking about beforehand so that we don't get to that state. So 
if we if we address that element well enough in a touring circumstance, the triage end, the mental health first aid, is rarely, if ever, necessary. It's maybe it's no different than eating healthy and exercising to keep you from having a heart attack. So, and I say that because I know there's a lot of people, and Debbie, I know that you're familiar with some of them as well. There's a lot of people out there looking to create you know, a normalcy for self-care, for mental health on tour for the entire team. And come in either in rehearsals, or come in during a tour and, and assess the circumstances that the team is, is working through and provide tools that can be sustained on tour by, it, by it, an entertainment event that's invested in people's mental health first aid. Sorry, that's invested in people's mental health. So. I guess what I'm trying to say, and Debbie, I'm interested in your response, is before we get to needing mental health first aid, let's also provide the tools to be healthy and not get there in the first place. Do you, are you able to create those kinds of environments? And, and do you see that as a, as a value add? Can we put a couple of professionals on in rehearsals and, and, and say, hey, look, this five minutes of exercise here, or this kind of food here, or this kind of sleep, those kinds of mechanisms? I mean, there, there are several different options. I mean, that's certainly one of them. Um, there is also the idea of actually just being able to uh, manage that from within the tour. And as we talked about earlier, about having proper sleep patterns and about staggering staff and empowering people to find their own ways of actually dealing with self-care. Because as we've mentioned before, it's a very individualistic thing. I think the more reading the more information we can all have about it it's it's certainly a wonderful thing and whether that's actually having professionals involved or even being able to talk to each other about this is such a, a such a wonderful thing being able to have an open space uh and a lot of this does actually come from a non-judgmental um area and i think that's what we need to encourage from the top down that it is okay to talk about these things that you're not going to be judged Nothing's going to be held against you for actually admitting that maybe you're not doing wonderfully right now. Um, that, that, as you say, it's, it's triage, but the wonderful thing about it being triage is you don't need any prerequisites to learning for the course as well, that anybody can do this. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I guess the idea is we, if we attack from both sides, if we provide resources from both ends of uh, the, the human experience, we're here to backstop in case it goes poorly, and we're here to help you not let it go poorly. If we're, if we're able to instill that ideal, um, maybe this, this is, there can be a day where this isn't as necessary as it is today. Brian, in your doctorate studies, are you coming to a play? Are you coming at it from both ends? Oh, well, my, my main focus uh, really is all about uh, really focusing on our industry, focusing on burnout, focusing on the effects of fatigue, focusing on um, all of those things that do have do negatively impact our mental health. And, and I will I will say my biggest personal learning so far is how little research exists in our industry specifically. If I want to look at transportation, if I want to look at the medical field, um, if I want to look at uh, certain industries, I can find a lot of information. A lot of information that talks about after about 16 hours, we are not effective for sure. 
um, after about nine hours, we start making very bad decisions. And, and so, you know, the evidence is out there on the things that affect us and how they affect the human body. Um, how that translates into our industry is yet to, is yet to really be fully understood, realized, and researched. Uh, luckily, there are some very smart people out there that are working on this. Um, some professionals in the industry, uh, many folks in the academic world uh, looking a little deeper. Uh, so hopefully within the next few years, fingers crossed, we'll have, uh, we'll have a lot more research and understanding. Uh, but, but I think the, the biggest thing, Jim, and to your point of triage, uh, the thing I would lean so heavily on is, you know, we know CPR can save a life. But the number of instances that we have walking through our day-to-day -day lives to, to use that CPR are very few and far between. Statistically, we are unlikely to ever use the tools we learn in the CPR class. Um, mental health first aid, statistically, you will use them tomorrow. Um, you will use them every day. Um, you will use them when you communicate. You will use them to recognize. So when you take CPR, you may save a life. You have the tools to save a life. Um, when you take mental health first aid, you may save a life, but you'll never know. Um, the, the instances that you do know that you save a life, again, are statistically very small, but it may be that one word you say to somebody, it may be that one question, it may be opening the door to therapy for that individual that sets them on a path to recovery that otherwise they would not have, they would not have stepped onto. So, so these are tools we use every day. And, and I think triage is the absolute beautiful way to put that as, you know, it, it's a caretaking job and we can really start. And we our goal is to get to the point where the suicide prevention part of the conversation is not what we need because it's not what we see. But, uh, but to make that such a, such a uncommon statement or an uncommon thing in our industry is really the, the goal. And uh, to your point of triage, that's how we get there. Well, I want to thank, thank again the Behind the Scenes Foundation for, uh, for allowing this training or creating this training on behalf of the entertainment industry. Um, Brian, am I right that Chauvet played a part in, in bringing the training to the industry as well? Um, I don't know the specifics. I do know that uh, there were some scholarships that were made available. Um, and so there are, there are ways for individuals who may not be um, in IATI or may not have the ability to use the training trust uh, to find some scholarships. And of course, we're always, you know, if anyone's interested in sponsoring um, other scholarships to the course, we're always looking for those opportunities. Thank you for that. Um, well, boy, that was, that was, we did it, right? We got through it. We got through it. That, and I'm grateful for you, Debbie, for sharing your experience here with us and Brian, I'm grateful for you for uh, for for being the the, uh, the the steward of this training as we as we identify others who will come along and begin to train it, uh, and those who are taking it. Um, I wanna I wanna give a shout out to you know uh, July 14th in Nashville uh, on the day before Summer Nam, we're gonna do the first in person delivery of this training. Um, uh, so. Uh, we'll make sure that we've got that up on the link when we when we send this out. Um, July 14th, Nashville, first in-person training. Classroom sizes are limited, so if you if you're considering it, we we recommend you sign up immediately for it. And then Brian, tell folks about signing up for the virtual class as well, please. Absolutely. Um, let me just make sure I've got the uh, 
the website correct, and I'm sure you can put a link in there. Yeah. So basically, if you go to behindthescenescharity.org, look for their mental health and suicide prevention prevention initiative page. Uh, you'll see a banner there to sign up for mental health first aid training. You'll be able to see the availability of all of the courses there and then go through that sign up process. It is uh, very simple. Uh, we want to make it as simple as it can. And while you're there, uh, you can see a lot of the great resources that Behind the Scenes has put together. We talk about many of them in the course, uh, but uh, you have you can definitely see those see those things when you're there. Um, and the survey that I mentioned is really the uh, the impetus of the creation of so many of those resources, uh, from an anti-bullying campaign uh, to the Be the One Two campaign, which is all direct directed with uh, what we're talking about right now, uh, mental health and suicide prevention. But uh, just so many resources, even toolbox talks on how do I create the conversation around mental health, mental wellness, and create an environment where everyone feels safe because safety is a wonderful slogan, but if we don't feel safe being our authentic selves in a space, whether that is from my identity, gender, race, whatever, if I don't feel safe being myself in a space, how can I feel safe? No code and standard is gonna make me feel safe if I don't feel safe authentically in that space. I'm, I'm glad you, that's, that's a, it's a really strong point, Brian, and that it's not the nature of our current work environment by and large, and we have to work together as a community to get it there. Uh, I'm also glad that you brought up Behind the Scenes Foundation and the other work that they're doing because there are a dozen additional resources that anyone can go there right now and download or have in their pocket or utilize for themselves, uh, including, as you said, Brian, the, 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 the um, Entertainment Industry Therapist Finder, the online self-assessment tool, Be Seen, Be Heard, Peer-to-Peer -peer chat, uh, there's the stop bullying harassment. You also said um, there is a, a number of resources at the Behind the Scenes Foundation that would benefit everyone, uh, at least knowing that they exist. Uh, Debbie, send us home. Tell us, tell us what's next, Debbie. Get us, get it, get get your peers in the classroom, please. <laughs> I'll be sending them your way. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, um, Debbie. Anything else to share with our audience? No, I. Um... Basically, we are, an, an, we are an industry full of problem solvers, and this is just something else that we need to turn our attention to. Um, I, I think for, for both individuals, for us as touring, a, a touring party, but also as an industry at large, uh, it's, it's an area that needs to be addressed. Oh, that utopian society we hope to create one day, yeah. Uh, listen, I'm super grateful and honored that you two would share your time with us today. Uh, Brian, I'll keep showing up to help co-facilitate the class. And if we're lucky, we'll turn Debbie into a trainer uh, someday. Um, and uh, just keep doing the good work and, and, and keep trying to build that compassionate environment that we all want to work in and go home feeling good about ourselves from. And, and to all those who may be listening out there, thank you for giving us your time. Uh, we're honored that you came in and tuned in today, and, and we hope to see you soon on a show. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>